You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Ephesians 2. Let me just begin reading in verse 18. Like I said today, this is kind of the main passage that has started this conversation as I was looking at it. And then what I'm gonna be doing here in a moment is I'm gonna be kind of walking through an introduction to, to kind of bring into mind what we really think church is. And then I'm gonna have kind of a little bit of a, a hook, as I call it, trying to hook us into to really why this involves you and why this is important. And then we're gonna be walking through several different passages, I, I guess in a way walking, uh, more or less kind of running through some of these passages. I'm just drawing out a few ideas today. I don't really have a ton of like amazing illustrations for you or, or a big, big things. I, I really wanna just lay the scripture before you this morning and allow that to speak into your heart and to maybe challenge our assumptions as to what church is, what we are doing here right now. Allow us to consider what the word of God presents to us. Allow that to tell us what the church is versus our, maybe just our traditions or our culture speaking into what church should be. Let's let the word of God kind of just, let's almost in a sense, as I've said before, in some ways, like bathe ourselves or soak ourselves in the word of God as we just kind of let it kind of sit and stew in it for a little bit. So we're gonna look at several different passages this morning, speaking into the different metaphors of the church. So to begin, the first one, which I think encapsulates really the three main ones that I'm gonna be looking at today. I think they're all found in this passage. So I really wanted to start with it. Ephesians 2. Verse 18, we'll start reading, but leading up into that passage, it's talked about how we were once alienated from God. We weren't close to him. We were all far off, and yet God has come near, and he has made peace, or he has preached peace through Christ, killing the hostility, divide, uh, destroying uh, the dividing walls. And then it comes to verse 18. For through him, we both have access This harkens back to our study in Hebrews. You'll just see it come pouring through if you've been with us. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. That's another way of saying the family of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in which you know, everything finds its alignment. Verse 21 says, in whom the whole structure, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place, almost a tabernacle for God by the Spirit. What would you say church is to you? I guess I, if I, I even did this with the elders and I'll reference that in a moment on, on Wednesday where I asked them, what, what would you say is church? You know, what, what's church to you, right? And I've thought a lot about this lately as we try to answer that question and the Bible gives dozens and dozens and dozens of metaphors and pictures and illustrations to describe what we're doing here this morning and I really find that fascinating. It doesn't always just tell us it's one thing but it's a multifaceted thing But what makes up the church? As we talked earlier, the governance of the church, that there is some level of organization, of leadership, and authority, and members, and people, and yet there's, in every church, in every local church, there's a synergy and a culture that exists that's probably unique unto itself, 
a local congregation and the universal body meeting globally. But with seeing especially, as I hear mentioned, we were just talking about it earlier this morning, as I was talking with someone just at how much the world has changed in the last couple of years. Just how much things feel different when we were shut down here, as I've mentioned before, and whether whatever was happening a couple of years ago to now, now opened up and fully meeting again, and it's just like our realities and perceptions have changed, whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying, generally, life is a little different now than it was, and maybe we have an awareness and a thanksgiving for certain things that maybe we didn't have before, and our views of people and systems have changed and are probably still changing. Europe right now has changed overnight, it seems like. But then how has our thinking changed in regards to the word and in particular the church? I just, I just wonder sometimes, especially as we were going through a time where uh, we were working with a group of people at the capital in um, the state capital in New Hampshire working with to present uh, the needs to have churches be labeled essential. Do you remember that? Do you remember that language of essential, not essential? I mean, it's just still in my mind how we were, we were referenced to be not essential in the beginning. And then I, I look and I know, I, I run through there in the morning and I see some of you coming in and I know what it feels like. My wife's trying to do it too. You're coming in, it can be busy on a Sunday morning. You're trying to get the kids dressed and you're trying to get them out, out to church and get in the van on time and you push through all the hustle and bustle. You feel like you're late. The check-in system maybe isn't working that morning and you don't know where to go. Or maybe you're new and this is your first time this morning. You're like, I don't know anybody. I don't know where I'm going. It's kind of awkward, right? You know, sometimes it feels a little strange. You're trying to sing on tune and you're trying to get the right words and you know, you're kind of like, you're trying to sip your coffee and you get bumped into and coffee spills all over you and we flounder around trying to find where to go, what to do, how, who to sit with and you have the awkward conversations of not sure, you forget someone's name, that happens to me a lot, right? And you struggle to pay attention to the sermon because the guy's going on and on, right? Okay. You know, it's like, is this really worth all this effort, you know? <laughs> it is, amen, right? See, all right, we're done. We can all go, we're, we're good. It's worth the effort, you know? Amen. Okay. You know, I've only been preaching five minutes where I got claps. This is good. It's a good Sunday. But seriously, it's like, when we think through it sometimes like that, it's like, my goodness, this is a lot of work, you know? It takes a lot of effort. <laughs> is it worth sitting under the instruction of a local church pastor, you know, versus like, you know, we can go home, I can YouTube like the best preacher in all of America and like, you know, I can watch him versus Jordan Moody kind of stumble along, you know, on these kinds of things of his understandings of things. Is, it, is this a worth, worthwhile investment? I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here in some ways. I can guarantee you can find someone else who could preach this message better than me, right? I know that you can live stream someone, you can listen to a podcast and get your information transference. If, if church is all about information, then you can get information many places. You can go to Google. You can look up answers. You can podcast and all that stuff. And believe me, I do. Podcasts, all, you know, YouTube, all that, right? We, we all do it. Nothing wrong with it. But what, what place does that have now in the role of a local church in a podunk country town, <laughs> small town America? What, is it really worthwhile when, when so many other places can do it better, you know? The experiences are more exciting or... The preacher's a little bit better, his, whatever. 
Or is, or is there something different happening every time you step into, not, I'm not just saying, and speak to me, I'm not just saying this church alone, I'm saying in the local churches. Is there something different when you step into a local church, when you come and you sacrifice certain aspects of comfort and you're willing to endure the awkwardness of conversations between people you don't know super well maybe? Is there something different that happens when we actually gather as a body, right? When you come to see others, sitting next to you, and you come to also be seen by others at know your name, maybe. You come to give of your time, yes, of your finances, we tithe, we give to something that we know and we are putting a sacrifice of our, what we have been given in order to benefit the greater body. Is there a worship there? Yes. Is there an obedience there? Yes. Is, you can also come to receive when you don't have, you can come to be filled. You can come and this is kind of one of the main points I'm going to be getting at today. You can come today and you come, I hope, into a local church, not just ours, but you can come because you belong. You can grow into a place where people know your name and, and you know theirs. You can grow and you can sit under the teaching and the instruction of an elder team that knows you and loves you and knows your name and cares about you and seeks to know your name and, and asks for forgiveness when we fall out of touch because you're known by your local church. You can participate, you can volunteer, you can give back, you can help out, you can minister and serve one another, you can hug each other, you can give directly, baptized into a body of believers who recognize and receive you. You can participate in physical and actual communion. This is the wonderful blessing of God, a, an environment, a culture in which is, is, is ripe and primed for a believer to grow up in maturity and to bear fruit. And yet, I also wanna give a disclaimer. I know, as I have said last week and talked to some even this week, who through sickness and disease, whether it be cancer or other things, or even job that is keeping them away on travel, they can't be here, you know? And it hurts, it's hard. In fact, I even think of some who are probably listening now who say, I want to be there, but I can't. That's even harder. But it's for those of us who have the freedom and the ability and the affluence and the that, that we have the freedom to make that decision that we often have to make on a Saturday night or Sunday morning. Is it worth all this effort? <laughs> you know? And I want to kind of collectively think together as the church as I look out at your faces and, I, and we think together about the local church in general and, and the very existence and our definitions that we use for church as we practice in the church, what is this language that we use for church? Is this really important? And we think even in regards to how we think about church and sometimes we talk about it in ways that are accurate and inaccurate. And it's hard to often, and I will uh, join in with you in saying that often it's hard to really grasp everything that the church is. As I said, there's dozens and dozens of metaphors to describe what the church is. But for instance, one guy writes, he says, think about how people talk about joining a church as if it's a club, right? Well, there is this aspect of membership into the body of Christ and this aspect of becoming a member. That is actually biblical language, membership. But we think of it sometimes like a club, or I'm gonna drive down to the church as if it's just a building, or as we often see, enjoying church as if it's a show. You know? I heard a, 
a joke, and I've, I should never say things like, I heard a joke the other day, but they, they were saying a member was leaving church and was complaining to the deacon, and, and, and he said to them, man, I just didn't really enjoy the worship this morning, and the deacon responds to them and says, well, good thing we weren't worshiping you, right, you know? So sometimes that's how it is, right? Where it's like, it's about me. <laughs> and then you're like, whoa, okay. But what assumptions are at work when we talk about church in these ways? Some good or some bad. I mean, some of those are somewhat accurate in a sense, but Sometimes further, do these assumptions shape how we engage with our churches? I'd say they make it sometimes easy that our churches really just exist on a Sunday morning for 90 minutes a week. Or are they more than that? One author says this, Jonathan Lehman, but hold on, he says, we hear from scripture that a church is actually a gathering and a fellowship of the family of God, the body of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's rediscover church, he says, to be what it is so we can live in the experience of the true church. We can discover the richness of living as a brother or sister in the family of God, the joy of living in one part of the Christ body united by other parts of the body. And I love this phrase, the countercultural power of living as one brick in the holy temple where God dwells on earth. Love that quote. How do we talk about church? What is our assumptions? What is it the way we look about it? What is it the kind of things that float in the back of our mind that kind of color the glasses that we look through to see church? Is it the bride of Christ, the body of Jesus, the temple of the spirit, the family of God? I, I can even honestly say sometimes I don't know if that's the way I see it. Jonathan Lehman gives this really detailed illustra- de- uh, definition of church that I want you guys to look at today. I just want us to consider, I'm gonna read through it. It's a definition of the church. It begins like this. A church is a group of Christians, right? A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly assembly, right? so, or an embassy, sorry. A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom. Now this is your, I'm gonna have you all memorize this, so when you leave here, if I ask you the church, you gotta give me this definition. Okay, now, this isn't the one we naturally lean to, but I found it very helpful as I thought through every facet of it. So a church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, one of which is communion, like today, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and example of elders. A deep, deep illustration, and we're not gonna go into all that. I just found a nice, round, simple way, another even simpler way to think of that. And you can leave that up if you want. I know some people might even be writing it down, but a a church is actually a gathering and a fellowship of family of God, the body of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit. An amazing thing. There's so many things. The passage today that we looked at, I think encapsulated almost every one of those points. But I have three main points for you today that we're gonna really run through. Just reading a couple passages along today. It's a very simple service. We're gonna look at how I gather to proclaim my belonging to God's family. And I belong as a member of Christ's body. And I worship as a living stone in God's holy temple. Or the Holy Spirit's temple. So these three, I gather to proclaim, I belong as a member, and I worship as a living stone. And so now with all that intro and that setup, I want us to kind of hook you in here as to why this really involves me. And some of you are like, well, I'm already there, but let me kind of belabor the point, as if you would. That's what pastors and preachers do, right? (laughs) 
There's a New City Catechism which is, goes back to the Heidelberg Catechism and the very first catechism asks this question that I found stunning. I was introduced to it to the last couple of weeks. I've been reading a book called You Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble but it goes like this. The very first catechism starts and says, what is our only hope in life and death? I love that. It begins at the beginning. Or what is our only comfort in life and death? What is our only hope in life and death? And this is the answer. That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. To consider for a moment this profound statement, you can leave that up for a little bit to contemplate it, that we are not our own. I'm not really sure if I can come up with a more countercultural statement to give you (laughs) in today's culture. If you just start dwelling and thinking for a moment with me through how counterculture and profound and authentically Christian this statement is. It's a radical thing to say that I'm not my own but I belong to God and his church. This connects the topic that we're speaking in today because in regards to the church, we are not this autonomous and independent island to ourselves. In fact, you are created and made and sustained by God, a member of God's family, a member of his body and built into the temple as a living stone. You are not, as modern culture might constantly tell you, that you are your own person. You do you. You speak your truth. You seek your self-care. Take care of yourself first. Your identity, right, is found and established and made by you. prevailing thought today would say that we have to establish our style, our personality, our gender, our sex. We decide we are free. The hero stories that you'll hear pervading through modern media today often follow the pattern of breaking free from any group or traditional norms and pioneering our own way. And have you heard this phrase, finding your true self? (laughs) Shirk off the qualifying labels of the past. Don't learn from history. You write your own history. Have you ever... (laughs) You ever, I could just start preaching this. Now some of you are like, wait, am I supposed to amen to that? No. Don't look back, he says. Don't look in the past. Look inwardly and you will find your truth in who you are. The self-discovery, the self-expression, the newfound identity that I create, that I make. And then also with making and creating my identity is that I have to uphold it myself. It all falls on me. I then have to balance the plate of life. I become the atlas holding the world up on my own shoulders. I create the identity and therefore I have to have it validated and justified. My value and worth comes from others approving of the thing that I make and create. So this might sound free, but at the real, if you buy into this, this can be almost not liberating, but it feels like bondage. It's, it's exhausting, it's stressful, it's tiring because everything's up to you. Alan Noble says it this way in relation to modern society. He says this, that this in in a way to validate our own self-existence constantly. He says, and the terrifying thing is that everyone else in society is doing the exact same thing as you. Everyone is on their private journey of self-discovery, self-expression, so that at the times modern life feels like billions of people all in the same room shouting their own name so that everyone else knows that they exist and who they are, which is a fairly accurate description of social media. (laughs) 
To be recognized is to draw the gaze and the attention of others. To be affirmed is to draw their positive gaze. And if we are all responsible for creating and expressing our identities, then everyone is in competition with everyone else for the limited attention and no one is secure enough in their own identity to ground us with their approval. How can we cope with such fierce competition? It's exhausting, it's tiring, but what if, as I am a preacher, I presented you with the not, and then I'm going to present to you with the good, so right, what if it doesn't have to be this way? What if I don't belong solely to myself? (laughs) What, What if I have a place of belonging, not because of what I do, but because of what God has done for me and who he says I am, and not who I say I am? What if I belong to the church of God and proclaim this belonging every Sunday when I show up and attend and participate with the gathering of saints? As 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, the Bible says. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so that is why our only hope in life and death, in a sense, is that we are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, both life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is worked out in participation in his church, the visible representation of Christ's body on earth. And so I gather today to proclaim my belonging to God's family. And I just wanna run through a couple verses. We're gonna look at that next phrase and we're gonna run through a couple verses and, 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 and the one last phrase and then we'll be finished, okay? And it says, I gather to proclaim my belonging to God's family. The verse, verse I wanna read quickly is Galatians 6, verse 10. Some of, the, some of them might be on the screen. Some of them you can just follow along with me. But Galatians 6, 10 says, so, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And it's do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Household, family, right? The family of God and the family of faith. If you flip over in Galatians and go to Galatians 4, verse 4, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, that's when Jesus came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we, I love this, might receive the adoption as sons doesn't exclude daughters here, but it is sonship, heirship, that you are the firstborn son in that authority. And so it is you are now receiving as an heir. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Even a phrase meaning tying in the Greek and the Hebrew. Hebrew there and Greek. Abba, Father, people of all kinds together saying, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Wow. He joins together the families of God, uh, the ethnicities of God that are joined together under Christ in one big happy family, right? (laughs) And so then Romans 8. Romans 8 is another passage you want us to look at. Romans 8, verse 14. Romans 8, verse 14 says, for all... For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Wow. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption into a family as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There it is again. The Spirit himself bears witness of our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. These passages just speak to the family and the household, the children and the adoption. I join in gathering in closeness, togetherness to proclaim my belonging to this group and this family. Yet when I leave this building, I don't cease being the church, right? We're not only the church when we're here. Just like when my family gathers at Christmas or the Moody's get together, okay? We Christmas time or Thanksgiving and you, you all join around a table and you gather in one place, you eat and partake of the same meal and participate in some of the same traditions. Because I guarantee if I went to Christmas or Thanksgiving at your house, it would look similar but different. You're all different families. But when I leave that meal, that Thanksgiving meal, and we all go to our separate households, I don't cease becoming a Moody. <laughs> Still a moody at home, still my family, and yet I gather with my family and participate together in a group. Like a team, you work together on a soccer team in order to achieve the goal of scoring a goal at the games that you play. You practice together, you work together, you train together, you're trying to learn each other's language, you're instructing and training and working hard together as a team so that you can get to the game and play the game and achieve that aspect of working together as a team and win. But yet when you leave that game, you go home, it doesn't make you any less or part of the team. But you gather as a team in order to play the game. If someone asked you if, what team you were on, you would tell them you were on the team, even though you might not be playing a game at that moment. And when we leave these building, when we leave this building, it doesn't mean you're, you're not the church anymore. But the church functions in order to gather and support one another, to stir one another up, as Hebrews 10 says. And so you can't really have a team or, or have a church in a sense if you don't come together to play the game. What good is it being on a team in this sense, right? And so this family metaphor, this team metaphor, this speaking of gathering as a family, a household of faith, the children of God in adoptions and, and in adoption and yet in this family, families can be difficult. Some of you are maybe even smiling at that point, but if you don't know that families can be difficult, let me introduce you to my family, right? Is that what somebody says, right? Let me, let me tell you, you haven't met uncle, what, you know? Somebody said the other day, I think it was in elders meeting, they were talking about churches and Christians, and I think they were quoting Billy Graham, but I, I never found it exactly, but it just works, so I'm gonna put it in. And he said, Christians gathering together in a church is like a bunch of porcupines trying to cuddle up close to each other can get a little prickly, right? And we, we, we aren't always the most loving and easy people to get along with, myself included. And yet family is important. It's worth pushing up into the quills to get to know someone, right? And I think this idea of family is vital here, even at Hope. It's part of what I think uh, surmises and encapsulates who we are as a church. And the second point, as we kind of run through, I just want to look at this one passage here. It's Romans 12, verse 3. It says, I belong because I'm a member of Christ's body. For as one body, we have many members. Many members do not have the same function. Some of you are saying, thank goodness, and all the members have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are one body and yet individually members of one another. That means we belong to each other and we belong to God. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Verse seven, if in service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. First Corinthians 12 goes into this and 
body has many members, the members of his body. We're one body, and he even goes in talking about that later on, that if the foot should say to the hand that they didn't want to be a foot, they want to be a hand, that that's not how it works, not one body part or member is more important than the other. They're all valued equally and all crucially important to balance the body. We are all, each part of the body is needed. And each part of the body is connected to the body because it's a part of the body. It's a member of the body. So when you're adopted into the family, you belong in the church because you are a member of the spiritual body of Christ that is visually seen through participation in a local body. It's an incredible connection between the natural and the physical and the spiritual reality. It's the elder's job to equip that body to work and to move. Our job, as it says in Ephesians, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And in, in a way, you could say, you know, maybe your parents always said this. My, you know, if you're, you're going to live under this roof, you're going to carry your own weight, right? You know, they ever say that. You know, get out, or you're going to do the chores, right? And I, I'm like, when? Maybe parents who have older kids. Maybe, when does that actually kick in? Because right now I have three kids, and not too many of them are carrying their own weight currently. So I don't know when that exactly starts to. Anyways, um, but no, this idea, like in the family of God, we don't always carry our weight in the same manner, but we have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve and to use our talents and gifts in unique ways, and it's an incredible thing to see. And then the, finally, this ending here is I worship because I'm a living stone in the Holy Spirit's temple a living stone. We are built in to this construction idea here that in 1 Peter 2 verse 4, 1 Peter 2 verse 4 it says, and as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones, it says, living stones, and are being built up as a spiritual house or temple or family to be the holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. We read earlier in Ephesians 2 how we are a holy temple built together into a dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I read it earlier. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own. You're bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 3 says you are God's building. So there is this organization and organism that is vital to every church. There are this temple building and yet we're also a family and a body. We come together under this house, under this roof, under this place to gather. The building of God's people proclaims the worship of God, almost as if we are coming together to be built into the walls of this building like a holy cathedral, as we sang earlier, to be a living sanctuary, praising God and worshiping him for including us in this magnificent story that stretches back thousands of years to invent to to us today. So in closing, we, we need to be the church, I think, in gathering and assembling and in daily living. It's not one or the other. I just have my church at home, in a sense, apart from the body because it's awkward and difficult. Yes, it's awkward and difficult at times, believe me. But it is also that we come and gather. I just gather on a Sunday morning and I don't need my daily living on a week. It's, it's both and. Is that something that we even have to reinvent or make up church like we gotta figure it out for today? No, we, it's something we are. We just be the church. It's not a place I have to go. It's a place where I belong. Isn't that cool? A place I belong. It's, it's not a club membership that I earned and pay for. It's a vital membership into a living body that needs me. And then I realize as time goes that I actually need it. I'm not 
this isolated island or erratic rock out on a field on my own, but rather it's a network of stone masonry built into a living temple of the Spirit of God, worshiping in spirit and truth. It's a family diverse and many and global, gathering for the same reasons in multiple ethnicities and languages and nations around the earth to proclaim their belonging to God because Jesus has saved us through the Spirit. We belong to God. We are the church, the church of the living God. What is our only hope in death that we are not our own and by ourselves, but we belong to God on high so that the church through the manifold wisdom of God may proclaim to the world the glory of God.